Do you need a break from the news? Well, my friend, Nerdette Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club that you can participate in. I could just go on and on about it. I loved this book. It was an experience, I'll tell you that. (laughs) I discovered authors I had never heard of, and I'm really happy that I did. Come hang out with us. Listen to Nerdette wherever you get your podcasts. It's Curious City, where we take your questions about Chicago and the region and investigate, report, explore from WBEZ. Hi, I'm reporter Sean Kennedy. This time on Curious City, we've got a question you've probably wondered. It's from R.C. Jones. What determines the route of CTA L train lines? Some of them seem to zigzag for no apparent reason. R.C. commutes every day on the Brown Line, which stair steps from the loop to the northwest side. If you're not sitting down and holding on, you could definitely fall over with all of the turns back and forth. If you're reading a newspaper or texting, you're going you're gonna to eat it. This is South Think about the L map for a second and how the lines twist and turn and jog. You'd think nice, straight lines would make more sense, right? Faster, more efficient? After all, three-quarters of a million people commute on L trains each day, and you'd think they'd want, nay, demand, the fastest route possible. But it doesn't work that way. So we're going to learn how train lines got their kinks and hear some backstories. By the time we hit the end of the line, this will make sense for RC and, hopefully, you. Thank you for riding the CTA Red Line. We'll start with general patterns. I spoke to Graham Garfield, who both works for CTA and is a transit historian. Big point here, Garfield says the oldest L trains were built by private companies, and when they planned routes, they had two options. First, they could build over public streets, like they did in the Loop. But that option required serious political clout, heavy-duty bribes, or both. The less nefarious option was to build on private land, but that made it hard to keep lines straight. A straight line would have been a very expensive line because uh, you would have had to buy up far more property since you're hitting the property lines at an angle. Okay, picture that. A train going diagonally through a block would need to buy almost all the lots on that block. Much cheaper to bend lines through the alleys. Alleys cost less and require less demolition. Perfect example? The north side's Sheridan Red Line stop. Why the harsh corners? Because planners had to jump from one alley to another. Counterexample. The northwest side's blue line runs straight, diagonally to the grid, because they bought all the alley space next to Milwaukee Avenue. That alley space was straight and continuous. Here's the big principle. Train lines follow the path of least financial resistance. So when you notice a CTA zigzag, Garfield says there's a simple reason. Property. Just, just property. Sometimes it's about buying new property, Other times, it's about property already acquired by 100-year-old freight lines. We can't go through all the kinks, but here are a few. This is a brown line train to Kimber. RC and I ride past our new favorite kink on the brown line near Division Street. Yeah, there's another weird curve. Why? That makes no sense. Look around. Do you think we're going around anything? Well, we went around a park. We went around. We're going around some kind of... Oh, oh, oh. We're going past a church. Yep. When the Brown Line was plotted in the 1890s, the then-owners, the Northwest Elevated Railroad Company, acquired a beautiful, mile-long stretch of almost empty alleyway land next to Orlean Street. 
There was one obstacle. The route would take it right into the back end of St. Joseph's Church. If they wanted to continue straight, they'd have to take the church to court, have it condemned, and tear it down. Probably not great juju. Plus, you want parishioners to ride your train line, not boycott it. So they bought land off the church, a narrow strip around the back. Legend is that the Northwestern Elevated secured that strip in exchange for a new pipe organ and a marble altar. All right, well, we can't hardly have a train running through the middle of a church or knock a church down. All right, I'll buy that. That makes sense. Brown line mystery solved. Let's look at the orange line on the city's southwest side. It connects the loop to Midway Airport. Again, historian Graham Garfield. It's sort of an interesting modern spin on the same issue that the original L companies had. The Orange Line was built in the 90s, long after the CTA took over the L. It runs mostly straight, except the track crosses Western Avenue three times. In the 80s, money for a train line to Midway was held up by a federal requirement that Chicago keep back funds in case of cost overruns. So Democratic Congressman Bill Lipinski voted against his party to arm Nicaraguan Contras. President Ronald Reagan showed his gratitude by waiving the requirement. Classic quid pro quo. CTA planners had their pool of money. What did they do? Could they have taken a, uh, some additional property and maybe kept the line entirely east of Western? Yes, but they would have had to take any number of different individual private pieces of property, had to probably demolish um, several buildings. So the CTA did what its forebears did a hundred years earlier. They stitched together old freight lines. That is, they went to the playbook we talked about, find the path of least financial resistance, kinks and all, even when the president of the United States is involved. The biggest CTA kink is one you probably don't think of as a kink. The loop. One big circle where five train lines come together, sharing only two tracks with eight stations. Trains and passengers constantly wait for other trains to get out of the way. Garfield says if the loop were built today, it would be a giant subway station and each line would have its own track. By the same token, you know, the loop has become an iconic part of Chicago. It's deemed uh, eligible for the National Register of Historic Places. I don't think it's going anywhere now. Transit systems can build straighter lines. The Washington, D.C. metro lines are underground and plenty straight. But the metro is one of the most expensive infrastructure projects in American history. And fares are steep. So while Chicago got a less ideal system, we got one we could afford. The CTA tries to remedy kinks when it can. They smoothed out sharp curves on the Green Line at Harrison and Wabash in the early 2000s. But that's not cheap because of the way the city has evolved. Just as a vine grows on a building or around a tree and just forms itself around the you know, metaphorically unmovable force, so does urban development sort of wrap itself around the train. So what does RC, our question asker, think of all this? Oh, yeah, I, can, I can give the brown line more credit now that I know its twists and turns are not completely arbitrary. So next time you spill your coffee on a sharp curve, at least you know it's nothing personal. Seriously, it's nothing personal. Reporting for this story came from me, Sean Kennedy. Support for Curious City comes from the Doris and Howard Conant Fund for Journalism. Special thanks on this story to David Harrison, Dennis McClendon, and Joe Sweeterman. Also, Peter Alter and his team at the Chicago History Museum. Hey, this is Jesse Dukes, Curious City's audio producer. 
Just want to let you know this is a repeat. We first ran this story back in 2016, and we checked. All of those CTA kinks are still there. You can check out a really great illustrated history we made of the twists and turns at wbez.org slash curiouscity. Next time on Curious City, a discussion about the University of Chicago and its relationship with nearby neighborhoods, which are majority black. U of C has historically been involved in some policies that angered those communities. Making sure that black people weren't allowed on the university and couldn't buy homes within a mile of the university. The history of racial profiling from the University of Chicago Police Department. That history and the ongoing work to improve the relationship. That's next time on WBEZ's Curious City. Before we start the show, we here at Curious City want to let you in on a little-known fact about WBEZ. 89% of all our funding comes from community support, including contributions from curious listeners like you. If this program has changed how you see Chicago, please consider supporting this program at wbez.org curious. Thank you.